Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 21 of Vigilance for the End Times. This episode is Temples of the Holy Spirit, parts 4 and 5, Drawing Close to the Father, our only source of real hope. And we will also have a subsection addressing spiritual warfare. A couple of key verses that uh, have been in my heart concerning this particular podcast. Uh, Romans fifteen thirteen, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jude twenty twenty one, But you, beloved, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God as you await the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you eternal life. I've spent a lot of time in the book of 1 John the last couple of weeks or so. And... It's been a very intense week and a half, two weeks, uh, spiritually. And one thing that is becoming more and more clear to me is that we as believers are living on this side of all that is permanent and real. Currently, we are on the side where everything is impermanent and passing away. Now in 1 John the word of God says that he that does the will of God abides forever. So as long as you and I are living to do the will of God, we are walking, living, breathing paradoxes to all of the impermanent, temporal things that surround us. Furthermore, as we individually live to do the will of God, we become, in essence, the only truly permanent things in an impermanent world. The Word of God says, if you live to do the will of God, then you will abide forever. But this also means that there's only one thing in the universe that can be allowed to stand forever, and that is the will of God. Why is it all important that we keep our focus on that one thing? Because obviously everything that does not serve the will of God must be shaken until nothing remains but the will of God. And that means, by consequence, there is going to be a lot of shaking going on around us. And that is going to be great cause for alarm, disillusionment, and disorientation. Again, I'll say that again because I really want to make this sink in. With all of the shaking that God is doing and will be doing, there is going to be great cause for alarm, disillusionment, and disorientation. We are going to have to do everything possible to remain transfixed on the Word of God to maintain our emotional, mental, and spiritual equilibrium. Now, let me put this in just real world, a real world situation for you, okay? Um, to me, this is not an abstract subject. I watched 
My wife lived this for well over 16 years, and I know she lived it for a, a lot longer than that. It was her relationship to her Heavenly Father that saw her through years and years of sheer hell on earth from her family and from life circumstances because of her disability. And as a believer of over 43 years, I can honestly say that I have never known a greater example of someone abiding in him than my wife. How did she abide in him through years and years and years of physical chronic pain, emotional abuse, cold lovelessness from her family, trapped in a body that did not want to do a fourth of the things she wanted to do? I will tell you how. I've spent a lot of time over the last few months since my darling wife went home reading from her prayer journals from 1998 onward. And those prayer journals reveal a young woman who poured her heart out at his feet on a daily basis. She expressed to him every raw emotion openly and honestly as though he were her only trusted, caring confidant. Because he was. If she felt that there was any sin, even the smallest cloud between her and him, she asked him for forgiveness and for help. But she literally poured out her heart to the Lord on a daily basis. And it was not just a religious habit. It was really, honestly, a matter of sheer spiritual survival. So how do we abide in him? When we perceive it as a matter of sheer necessity on a daily basis, not a religious option. And here is a point that I want to make, and I pray it resonates with everyone listening, and I beg you to take it totally and completely to heart. We abide in him on his terms, not ours. Jesus said, if you abide in me and my word abides in you. So abiding in him where we are concerned in that equation is hugely dependent on his word abiding in us. But again, we abide in him on his terms, not ours. The Western church, for the most part, does everything but abide in him. We abide in him on his terms, not ours, but virtually everything the Western church does is derived from their own volition and out of religious habit and traditions of men, denominations, etc. Now, look at the Old Testament and see how many times God spoke through his prophets to the people and said, all of the activities you are doing in my name... All of the rituals that you are performing as though they give you right standing in my eyes is an affront to me. You do these things because it pleases you. And you convince yourselves that I am pleased as well. So I'm going to be addressing more of that later on. Right now, I want to move forward with 
a subject that's been coming up in a lot of discussions with many of you uh, messaging me uh, privately concerning different things in this regard, um, and that is the subject of spiritual gifts as part of our weapons of warfare. Now, remember what Paul said to Timothy? In fact, we just had an episode on this a couple of weeks ago. Um where Paul said to Timothy, by the prophecy spoken over you, that you might wage a good warfare. The thing to keep in mind is that any spiritual endowment or spiritual gift, which is obviously derived from the Holy Spirit himself, is in and of itself empowerment against all that is of the enemy. For example, a word of prophecy a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom by the Holy Spirit displaces the very opposite sown by the enemy. Confusion, uncertainty, lack of understanding are displaced by the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the vocal gifts of the Holy Spirit in this case, which bring wisdom, spiritual knowledge, and understanding that are specific to that person's need. For example, You might be ministering to someone who is extremely depressed and discouraged, thinking that their life is meaningless, and perhaps they're even on the verge of suicide. The Holy Spirit rises up in you, and you prophesy over them concerning their future with words that bring healing to their soul, to their emotions. Now you have just effectively waged spiritual warfare that was attempting to take that person out, and you have done so through the operation of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So many times we have limited spiritual warfare to the arena of intercession and prayer alone, never stopping to consider that the gifts and operation of the Holy Spirit can operate at any time, through any means, and break the power of the enemy. Remember the scripture that declares it is the anointing that breaks the yoke? It doesn't say the intercession breaks the yoke or prayer breaks the yoke. It is the anointing of the Holy Spirit who breaks the yoke. And he can do that through any means he wishes. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. That is the Holy Spirit's job, to bring spiritual liberty to those in captivity and bondage. Now, be open. Be teachable. Don't put him in a box because he's not going to operate contrary to his own nature. So let's just get rid of this irrational fear stuff, which is also in many cases, by the way, just an excuse to do nothing. Now, remember Paul said that we bring into captivity to the obedience of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. We bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. The gifts of the Holy Spirit work to achieve that very end. In the context of which Paul was speaking, he said, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds and everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. That, in a nutshell, is spiritual warfare. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are manifestations of the Holy Spirit of God himself, working to edify and build up the body and to dislodge, 
disarm, and displace all the works of the enemy. I'll say that again. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are manifestations of the Holy Spirit of God himself working to edify and build up the body and to dislodge, disarm, and displace all the works of the enemy. Now, our Western religious problem is that we have this, so, this unconscious habit of dividing everything up into compartments. But you can't do that with the Word of God and the operation of the Holy Spirit because the Word of God is a whole. Paul said, I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel, the entire counsel of the Word of God. It's not a bunch of bits and pieces stuck together. God is what I'm trying to say is God does not see spiritual warfare over here in a corner, the gifts of the Holy Spirit over there in another corner, and intercession and prayer in a different corner. It's all part of one flow. The Word of God is a continuum. And when we when we allow ourselves to see the Word of God, and the operation of the Holy Spirit divided in little sections that somehow have to compete with each other or are not entirely related to one another, we do ourselves and our spiritual growth a grave injustice. Is my right hand not associated with my left hand? No, they're part of the same body, the same whole unit. And the sooner we can understand that, spiritually speaking, the Word of God is a complete thing that is alive. The sooner we will be able to receive much, much more of the Holy Spirit's wisdom and understanding. And many of the issues and problems and battles and roadblocks that we've been dealing with will be cleared up and resolved in very little time. It's just an adjustment to having our thinking line up with the Holy Spirit's thinking. And the Holy Spirit's wisdom is available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. But we have these little log jams in our minds and in our perception that keep his wisdom fl from flowing through to us and through us to others. Now, just consider how many times Jesus said to his disciples and how many times Paul said to the churches, I have many things to say to you, but you cannot hear them now because you are unable to receive what I have to tell you. What I have to tell you is spiritual and you are still thinking in a worldly sense. That is, believers are subconsciously using human reasoning to try to comprehend and absorb spiritual language from the Holy Spirit and it doesn't work. What that means is the spiritual answers and wisdom that we are individually crying out for can't get through the barriers in our minds as long as we're leaning to our own understanding. The Apostle Paul explained the starting point for every single believer on earth for entering into the things of God and understanding comprehending and growing in them. So I'm going to say that one more time. Please write this down. The Apostle Paul explained the starting point for every single believer on earth for entering into the things of God and understanding, comprehending, and growing in them. 
Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 13, This is what we speak, not in words taught to us by human wisdom or reasoning, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. Now, Jesus said in John 14, The Spirit of truth, when he has come, he will lead you and guide you into all truth. But if we have not received the Holy Spirit in his fullness, through the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we may be very well born again, but we are dependent on our own human reasoning and thinking Because Jesus said of the Holy Spirit to the disciples, he is with you now, but he will be in you. Jesus said, it is better for you that I go because when I go, the Father will send him. That is a complete total change of persons. The Holy Spirit comes. He replaces the ministry of Jesus. Jesus said the very same thing. He's like, it's better for you that I go. Because when I go, he will come. Now, you take 1 Corinthians 2.13. Take that passage in conjunction with what John said in 1 John 2.27. As for you, the anointing you have received from him remains in you. And you do not need anyone to teach you. In other words, you are not dependent on someone else outside of yourself to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, which is exactly what Jesus said. He said, when the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. And that anointing is not false is no lie or is not a counterfeit just as it has taught you remain in him so that passage brings up two very vital points now first john said his reason for writing what he just said about the anointing remaining in you that anointing that teaches you all things he said in verse 26 the reason he was writing that And reminding them that the Holy Spirit is in you to teach you all things is because there were false teachers trying to deceive the believers. And he was saying, you do not need to be persuaded to depend on men to teach you because the Holy Spirit who is in you will teach you all things. Now, And I'm sorry, I hope I'm not going too fast. If I am, uh, feel free to reach out to me on the Facebook page uh, for Vigilance for the End Times. Um, But I really want to just cover this very thoroughly because I've been getting some very specific questions regarding it. So I I don't want to leave any stone unturned. Now, again... John said, he teaches you all things concerning the Holy Spirit. And then he adds, the anointing you have received that teaches you all things is not a counterfeit. Well, here in the West, we have a problem. We are so focused on the counterfeit, so focused on the false, which should be pointed out, but we spend so much time focusing on 
the counterfeit that we're afraid we might get tricked by some false spirit. So we lock all of our doors and windows and close the Holy Spirit out. There are hundreds of Facebook groups that do nothing but expose the false, expose the false, expose the false. It's all they focus on. They wouldn't know the true if it fell out of the sky and hit them in the head. But the Western church has been so skeptical and opposed in their minds to the operation of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead, that they have created a gigantic spiritual vacuum. Remember, we're spirit, soul, and body, not just soul and body. The church was intended from the very beginning to be empowered and led and instructed by the Holy Spirit. But what happens when the church (laughs) removes the Holy Spirit or puts up roadblock after roadblock against him? You have what we have now, a proliferation of false teachers coming out of the woodwork because we have shut the doors to the Holy Spirit So every false spirit comes in. And this is predominantly a Western church problem, and it's worse now than I've ever seen it in my 43 years as a believer. We have only one institution to blame. The institutional professing Western church that has deified its own intellectual grasp of the scriptures, leaning to their own understanding, in place of being led by and taught by the Holy Spirit. The early church was the complete opposite. And in rejecting the Holy Spirit, who was sent by the Father and the Son, we have condemned ourselves to delusion and to being the prisoners of our own intellectual minds. And we forget one important fact, that the God of this world... He's still here. He didn't just go off in a corner and sit down somewhere waiting for us to get our act together. The most powerful angel that God ever created is over this dark and fallen world and over all the spiritual powers that are mentioned in Ephesians 6, principalities and powers, spirits of wickedness in high places. And we think that he's threatened by our intellectual grasp on scriptures, really? Um, doesn't James himself say, you fool, even the demons believe in God, but they tremble in fear. We have no fear of God in the Western church. There's no fear of God in the Western church. So we say we believe, but we have no reverence or awe of God in the least. And now the principalities and powers over this earth are operating at peak fury. Spiritual battles and spiritual confrontation is happening, is coming, and here we are trying to play catch-up regarding the Holy Spirit. Now, the primary reason that God put it in my heart back in September to start this podcast and to stick with it regardless of what I'm going through in terms of missing my wife is because Holy Spirit discipleship has been so absent from the church since probably the the mid to late 1980s. And I've been in discipleship capacities since 1980-something. 
but just an honest look at the churches. Everybody's got their programs, but nobody's doing any real spirit-filled, spirit-led discipleship with a focus on each individual believer being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Why? So they can be led by the Holy Spirit. If he's not in you, how can he lead you? Um, and I am going to do uh, an episode in the next in the next few days covering that very thing. But I want to take a look at a passage that, because we are on the subject of spiritual warfare, and I wanted to take a look at a passage for a couple of minutes that we all know very, very well. We've quoted it, we've read it, but I'm going to do something a little different. And whatever you think you know about Ephesians 6, just put it on the back burner for now. I'm going to read this passage from, I'm going to read it word for word first, and then we're going to put it under a microscope and look at each verse one by one. Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 18, Paul says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Okay, I'll be honest with you. Uh, It'll be a miracle if I get through this entire passage today, but if we don't, we will pick it up. Now, I may be giving myself away here, but I love how the Apostle Paul always puts first things first. And that is a major spiritual principle you see in everything Paul writes. And just and just keeping that one thing in your mind will make your spiritual life take off like a rocket. Why? Paul says it right here. 1 Corinthians 9.27 He said, therefore, I do not run aimlessly. I do not fight like I am beating the air. No, I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I will not be disqualified. Did you catch that? Paul said, therefore, I do not run aimlessly. I do not fight like I'm beating the air. And everything the Apostle Paul writes, he has an unwaveringly incisive fiercely laser-like focus. He writes with the revelatory precision of the Holy Spirit like a spiritual green beret 
on every single spiritual subject pertaining to the things of the kingdom of God and the church. And when he said, therefore, I, I do not run aimlessly. I do not fight like I'm beating the air. This is from the heart of the man that Jesus himself chose to lay the foundation of the church. Here he is saying that every single thing he did had an ultimate spiritual purpose in mind. And the ultimate spiritual purpose was always centered around the growth and maturity of the church being formed into the stature and likeness of Jesus Christ. As a master builder, which he referred to himself as, Paul understood by the Holy Spirit to begin building with the end objective in mind. First things first. That is a governing spiritual law in the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 15.46 Now, with first things first in mind, let's look at how Paul begins with this prolifically quoted passage on the armor of God, starting with verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. So let's take a close look at this verse. Be strong. That comes from a Greek word meaning to fill with power, strengthen, make strong, the very same Greek word for strong here is used in Philippians 4.13, where Paul says, I am able to do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Through Christ, through Christ who strengthens me. 2 Timothy 4.17, Paul said, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. 1 Timothy 1.12 I give thanks to Christ Jesus our Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, appointing me to the ministry. So be strong in the Lord. That phrase, in the Lord, it's in the Greek word. The word in there denotes position. In other words, it is your, it is your legal position. You are in the Lord. You're not outside of him somewhere. You are not struggling to get in Jesus or to abide in Jesus. You are legally in him. That is your position. We've been translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. You have been raised in him, raised with Christ to sit with him in heavenly places, you are seated, if you are legally, I think that's in Ephesians or Colossians, you are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. So be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. The word power there comes from a Greek word meaning absolute strength. The very same word is used in verses like 2 Peter 2.11 where Peter is talking about angels who are greater in might and power. To give you an, an idea of what that word power means, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. We read these verses, but we just go right over them without digging in and seeing what the Holy Spirit is trying to really tell us. 
in 2 Thessalonians 1.9. Okay, we're, we're again looking at the word power here. Who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. My personal favorite verse that uses the same word from Ephesians 6.10, it's Ephesians 1.19. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his vast strength? So we are talking about appropriating divine power. Remember, this is why Jesus told his disciples, 120 of them, wait for me, wait for Terry in Jerusalem until you be clothed with power from on high, from on high. What's on high? The kingdom of God. Wait till you have received power from that heavenly kingdom before you move out into the world to represent that kingdom. Okay, I'm getting a little ahead of myself. So Paul says, Ephesians 6, 10, we're still, we're still in that verse, we're still digging. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. That word might, if you guys could get like a little tiny Greek concordance, this, this is where we really, this is where it really gets good. The Greek word for might it's translated kratos, K-R-A-T-O-S. I'm not trying to show you guys how smart I am because I looked this stuff up. But the word might there means dominion. It's, it is kingdom, dominion, power. Colossians 1.11 May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. For all endurance and patience with joy. 1 Timothy 6.16 uses that same word that translates into dominion. To him be honor and eternal dominion. This is the same Greek word that's used in Ephesians 6.10 for might. So might, dominion. We are talking about us as believers who have been translated into the kingdom of his dear son. We we hear these scriptures, we read them, we hear you know somebody talking about the scripture, but how often do we actually ever sit and really, really soak in the spiritual truth that we are part of an actual, real kingdom that is a manifestation, it's 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 a part of who God is, it's a part of who his nature is, and it is Jesus said, and this is why he said that, to those who he sent out to preach the gospel of the kingdom and heal the sick. And they came back and they were like rejoicing, Master, even the demons are subject to us in your name. He said, I give you all authority and power over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. So, when taken together, the words might, power, strength, and the Greek language all signify the power of a supreme dominion. 
Again, that is why Jesus called his gospel the gospel of the kingdom. In the West, we don't have a clue what that is. We talk to people about the four spiritual laws, or we go out and we try to, you know, witness to people like Ray Comfort. No, no. Jesus never, Jesus said, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and the end shall come. There's only one gospel that Jesus ever commanded us to preach. There's only one gospel he ever deputized us to preach, and that was the gospel of the kingdom. Paul said, the kingdom of God is not in word only, but in power and in demonstration of the Spirit. So we here in the West need to get one thing straight. The gospel we say we're preaching, if it's not the one that Jesus preached, it's not the gospel. It's some watered-down religious version. Flush it. Get to the nearest toilet and flush it. Fast. Because there's no life in it. There's no redemption in it. There's no real salvation in it. And we shouldn't be trying to improve on what Jesus did because he's our Lord. He's our King. We're supposed to be taking orders from him. A kingdom has dominion and authority and power. That is precisely why Jesus said, If I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, there is your proof that the kingdom of God has come unto you, has come into your very presence. The kingdom of God has gotten in the demon's face, okay, if you want to put it like that, because there was a confrontation and a clash. And the only time things got ferocious was when Jesus showed up and demons started screaming and freaking out. In the synagogue, he cast demons out of people. People who could normally go to synagogue and sit there very reverently, you know, hear the Torah being read and everything else, and they're just as cool as a cucumber. Jesus comes in, those demons in them are not cool anymore. We have got to settle in our hearts that there is one gospel we are called to give witness to and called to partake of, and it is one with power. And again, I'll quote that verse again. Jesus said, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached to all nations as a sign, and then the end shall come. Jesus did not recognize any preaching of any so-called gospel unless it is the gospel of the kingdom that Jesus commanded to be preached. Now, with all of this clearly laid out, I hope it's absolutely clear that this is the very reason why the Holy Spirit has been so opposed and fought and ridiculed and mocked. Because Satan does not want to relive the book of Acts. He does not want the gospel of this kingdom to be preached. And he knows that without the power of the Holy Spirit, he is under no threat of any repeats of the book of Acts happening again. The Church of the West doesn't face him at all. He looks at the Church of the West and he just yawns. I hope it's also crystal clear that when you read your New Testament and you start seeing the words like power, strength, and might, you completely understand that that is derived 
from one source and one source only, the Holy Spirit of God. Now, speaking to my dear believers uh, who have been, my dear listeners, I mean, uh, you've been translated into the kingdom of God's dear Son. So speaking to you as fellow kingdom citizens, can you now understand our responsibility to represent the kingdom of our God in the manner in which he has prescribed. I don't care what anybody's favorite preacher says. I don't care what their favorite Bible teacher says. All I care about is the word of God and the Lord whose kingdom it is. The apostle Paul says we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And yet many want to live here in this life as a child of some denomination. And this is the very issue where the professing Western church is, where they, whether they realize it or not, the current spiritual reality and everything else will revolve around what is taking place now. And the choice is coming to every professing believer in the West. And we will have to make it. Um, Is our complete and total allegiance to the King of Kings? Or is our commitment to Him conditional upon what some denomination allows? Is our commitment to Him as King of Kings conditional upon what some pastor says behind a pulpit? We need to read our Bibles, especially our New Testament, through kingdom glasses, not denominational bifocals. We need to understand that this is not a matter of some denominal, denominational beliefs or doctrines. It is a matter of what the kingdom of God has designated, commissioned, and prescribed, and that kingdom has complete and total authority over every preacher, over every Bible teacher and denomination on the planet. So are we willing to completely lay down every other religious allegiance and give our total, complete allegiance and obedience to the only king there is? Do we understand that there is no room for divided allegiance or divided loyalties in a kingdom? The reason for the absolute seriousness of everything that I have just stated is because here we are looking at one of the most well-known passages in the Bible, that pertaining to our spiritual armor. But that armor is reserved for those whose allegiance is to living for and representing the clearly defined kingdom of God. That armor is not for pew-sitters, It's not for churchgoers. It is for kingdom citizens who have laid their lives down to serve the king of this heavenly kingdom that we all read about and that we all profess is coming. Well, that kingdom exists right now. We don't see it because it hasn't taken manifestation yet. But if Jesus Christ is your Lord, then he is also your king. And there are no weakened warriors. 
The kingdom of heaven does not have National Guard reservists. You are either all the way in or you are not in at all. You don't take this armor and put it in a window so people can walk by and admire it. You wear it for active duty. You wear it when you have decided that Jesus meant what he said when he said, The works that I do, you shall do also, and greater works than these shall you do. In my name, you shall speak with new tongues, you shall cast out demons, you shall tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Reading, again, go back and look at Ephesians 6.10, that one verse that we just read. Why would the New Testament be full of words that clearly show us God's dominion power, his kingdom power in his people? Why would we need to be endowed with kingdom power if there's not an opposing spiritual kingdom that we're fighting against, that's opposing us. That's actually opposing God. For this reason was the Son of God manifest, that he might destroy the works of the evil one. Paul said in Ephesians 6, that again, that, that passage we just got done reading, we don't fight against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, spirits of wickedness in high places. But we go through each and every day, how much time do we ever give thought to the fact that there's spiritual warfare raging over our heads that is moving upon heads of governments to do evil, wicked things to their citizens all over the world right now? Or are we just focused on what's coming on TV next or where are we taking our next vacation or gosh, I really need to work up the courage to ask my boss for a raise. All the worldly, worldly stuff that Jesus said, the cares of this life choke the word and make it unfruitful. Our first priority should be Is the word becoming fruitful in me or is it not? And if it's not, let's sit down and figure out why. Holy Spirit, what am I doing wrong? Why is the word not bearing fruit in my life? Now, (laughs) those that, you know, yeah, the armor. Uh, Read the job description before you start putting it on. Because the armor is meant for something. I'm going to read that one little part real quick. Because I think that we can quote the verses on the armor, but we don't stop and think about what its function is for. And the main part of our function, after Paul goes on and tells us the enemies that we're facing in the heavenlies, when he gets down to function... Praying with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication. That's prayer, supplication for all the saints. So the biggest part of our warfare is prayer, praying in the Spirit. Now when it says the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, that word, word, doesn't mean your Bible. It does, your Bible's involved. So I don't want to freak anybody out like, oh, this guy's teaching weird stuff. Look up the word in the Greek. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Look up what that word word is in the Greek. It is rhema. It means the spoken word. 
the spoken word, which makes sense because in the very next part of that same sentence, it's connected. There's not a period there. It's connected. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. You're praying the word of God. And Paul said, when I, when I pray in an unknown tongue, my mind is unfruitful. But however, in the spirit, I am speaking mysteries unto God. So in this context, praying with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, praying in the spirit, like Jude said, beloved, keep yourselves in the love of God, praying in the spirit, building yourselves up on your most holy faith. That takes a partnership of the Holy Spirit inside you, praying through you. So, going to go back and look at the other part of this. And again, the kingdom, <laughs> we're part of a kingdom. Now we're all aware, world governments all assign their military personnel specific uniforms that signify whose military force they are. So, for example, no matter where in the world the U.S. military goes, their uniform tells people on foreign soil immediately where they are from. We are on foreign soil. But is it clear to those around us where we are from and whose occupational force we are? Or do we just look like everybody else and fit right in? Just reading through the Gospels carefully, we see all of the mandates and assignments Jesus gave all of his disciples. He was very descriptive as to how they would stand out. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. You're going to stand out because you are representing my kingdom in these ways. In fact, you could even call the Gospels our mission statement. Because if we haven't even begun to do any of the things that Jesus commissioned, authorized, and empowered his disciples to do, we haven't even scratched the surface yet. Heck, we're still looking for the surface to scratch. And no Western religion and denominational poo-poo lets us off the hook. What Jesus told us to do still stands. And pretending that he didn't mean it or that it was for another time, blah, 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 isn't going to cut any ice with him when he returns. What is really heartbreaking to me, folks, is that if this spiritual armor were visible to the naked eye, I'm sure there would be hundreds of thousands of suits of spiritual armor still on the rack. Because warriors don't just sit in the pews Sunday after Sunday, content to sing a few songs, shake a pastor's hand, and say, oh, thank you for a wonderful message today. Spiritual warriors are out there seeking that which was lost, going after the one that left the 99, doing unto the least of these his brethren, setting captives free, binding up those who are broken, and bringing them to the feast at the table of their master. That is what spiritual warriors do. And in over my 43 years as a believer, I can tell you, I was part of countless churches where I and a few other believers here and there visited the sick at hospitals. We ministered at nursing homes. We ministered on the streets. We fed the homeless, gave them our clothes, our food, etc., etc. And I'm not trying to guilt trip anybody. I'm just saying that the religious Western institutional church has had Bibles all over the place. 
but we're not really doing anything with the contents. Great cookbook, but we're starving until you cook something. So do something with those recipes of kingdom living. Don't just let those words remain on the page. Now, I have to say I am hugely blessed by so many in our vigilance group who are true prayer warriors and intercessors because they are the ones that are wearing that spiritual armor. And I will say from a very personal experience that being an intercessor, a prayer warrior, a worshiper of the Lord in your prayer closet is one of the most awesome spiritual assignments from heaven you will ever get. You'll be walking around your house or some special place that you go to to pray. You'll be walking around with your hands raised up in the air, praying in tongues, walking in such a worshipful, reverent attitude. And the Holy Spirit will pour out so much revelation on you and use you to break spiritual strongholds in people's lives that when you get to heaven, you're going to have freight cars full of heavenly rewards. And right here is where I will stop and talk to those of you called of the Lord to intercession and prayer ministry because many times the Lord will use your sensitive spiritual heart to minister one-on-one to people who are broken, who are damaged by life, and they need someone with a deeply sensitive heart to the Holy Spirit to minister to them because He will guide you to minister to them in specific ways that will set them free. Again, if you'll notice, a very big part of using the armor in Ephesians 6 has to do with praying and intercession. And the sword of the Spirit, the rhema of God, is the word of God that you will be speaking by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. By revelation of the Holy Spirit, the word of God that you will be speaking and quoting in your time of prayer and intercession over people, scriptures that you will be claiming over people's lives for deliverance, salvation, and healing. And like I was saying earlier about the gifts of the Holy Spirit being used to displace and disarm things of the enemy, assignments against people's lives. I've seen the opposite, where people did not get set free from those forces, and in some cases, they even took their own life because they never received spiritual ministry. And that does not have to be. And I've I've been feeling that that was something needed to be said because I know there's some people out there who are very sensitive to the Holy Spirit in intercession, and He's been trying to move you out. He's been trying to use you in a stronger and a deeper way to ministering to people, but you've been hesitant. Maybe you've been a little unsure, but the Lord's been putting it on your heart. Uh, Maybe you have not felt ready to quite take that next next step. But I want to tell you, in Jesus' name, just trust the Holy Spirit who already guides you in prayer and intercession Trust Him to be the same Holy Spirit that teaches you how to do spiritual warfare, how to even cast out demons and set people free. The Holy Spirit will lead you to the right people, the right persons who need that ministry. They need you. And if this is something that speaks to your heart, 
but you need a little bit more brotherly counsel, let me know. I'm available to talk anytime. You could uh, message me on Facebook at the Vigilant in the Village Vigilance Group. Uh, you could message me privately. Um, I know a lot of you guys have my cell phone number, so you can call me. I'm always available. And um, in closing, I did post online tonight about um, one thing that's been on my heart, and that is um, encouraging those of you who have a leaning toward home groups, home study groups, um, maybe uh, prayer Bible study groups at your job, or you got a neighborhood gathering of you know, some guys or gals in the neighborhood that get together to uh, just fellowship together. I'd like to encourage you to utilize the existing podcasts that we have as tools of discipleship that will help those that you're connected to grow uh, a little deeper in their walk with God, and their walk with the Holy Spirit. Um, I can send you the transcripts for any podcast you want. Just message me. I'll send you a copy. You can print it out, and uh, everybody could read along and study it as a group. But I think that the time is so urgent right now to really be open to the Lord using you to start discipleship groups where you are, and you don't have to have any pressure on you because these podcasts are already done. All you have to do is play it on a laptop or something where people can listen to it together, have the uh, the podcast outlines in front of them so they can read along, and all you have to do is facilitate it. And I'll be available if you if you need any help or advice or counsel or anything like that. Um, this was a huge step of faith for me back in September. I was still battling huge grief, still do, over losing my wife last, uh, last year in November, but I really believed it was the Lord putting that in front of me, and so I committed. And now here we are, uh, 21 episodes now officially. Um, I already have another podcast in my heart that I want to, um, do in the next few days on receiving the fullness of the Holy Spirit and uh, getting rid of a lot of the religious misinformation and disinformation that's out there and helping people just receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit uh, without any obstacles in their minds or their thoughts. But anyway, we are uh, about out of time. So I want to say God bless you to everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in. I really appreciate it. And I really, above all else, uh, appreciate those of you getting through to me, reaching out to me, and letting me know what these podcasts are doing in your walk with the Lord. Uh, But I love every one of you. God bless you so very much. And uh, God bless your week coming up. In Jesus' name.